seniors appreciate your ministry tonight appreciate uh, all the people who labored and helped install the new soundboard you see things kind of shifted around back there <laughs> brother william eric many others stayed late and changed the soundboard out moved everything around and uh, we appreciate their labors and the, the new sound it sounds much better so amen i'm still tweaking stuff so uh, it's, it's going to be a good thing. Amen. You have your Bibles tonight. Would you turn to John chapter 9? John chapter 9. We read the first 11 verses. I'll be reading some more verses later on in my message, but I wanted to preach a message tonight entitled The Whys of Life. You know, there's a lot of questions we have about life. I remember in the 70s, um, there was a song by the Moody Blues called Question. I think it was actually one of their album covers. And uh, the first part of that lyrics of Question goes, why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door with a thousand million questions about hate and death and war? It's like, you know, back then we were so enlightened, you know, as people, you know, smoking our dope, figuring out life, you know, and yeah, man, how come we don't get some questions about all this hate and death and war and stuff, man, you know? And so uh, we prided ourselves about asking existential questions, uh, but at the same time, none of us had any answers or solutions. But uh, in our story, we're going to read tonight, Jesus is asked a question, and I think the disciples are trying to be spiritual, like, hey, uh, we really want to get into the deeper truth of this, but he gives them an unexpected answer to their question. And so let's go ahead and, and, and uh, read this, John 9, 1 through 11, read about the whys of life. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those previously who had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Hallelujah. I want to begin tonight and talk about connecting the wrong dots, which we often do in life. And I want to focus on verses 2 and 3 of our text, because his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Making surface judgments about people and their condition will almost, will almost always lead us to wrong conclusions in life. You know, when they, 
saw Jesus in Matthew 13, they said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, or Judas? And so they looked on the hour of who Jesus was. He's teaching all these things. He's blowing their minds. And, hey, wait a minute. This guy can't do this. He's from the neighborhood. He's from my neighborhood. He, you know, he's just some guy. And there's another part where it says when he came to his hometown, he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief, because of over-familiarity in their lives. And so uh, in our story, you know, uh, the disciples are asking, you know, hey, there's got to be somebody had to sin. Was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that he was born blind? Well, how did this guy sin if he was born blind? You know, that's, that's kind of a dumb question. What do you do? Did he sin in the womb or what? You know, it's like uh, if he's born blind, how could, that, how could it possibly be his sin? And what Jesus was saying is he wasn't saying this man had no sin in his life. We're all born into sin, right? We're all born under the curse of Adam. But what he was saying is you can't always connect the dots between this condition and somebody's sin. Eliot's commentary, Eliot's commentary says, there's a chain connecting the sin of humanity and its woe, but the links are not traceable by the human eye. And so what he's saying is that, you know, hey, you can't always say this is because of this. You know, this person, uh, uh, you know, uh, did this sin, so, you know, they're experiencing this. Now, obviously, there are some sins that, can, that we can point to. I remember in Tucson, I got a call uh, from a... a a lady from another one of our churches, her father was in the hospital, asked me to come to the hospital and pray for him. I got to the hospital, and I saw this older man, probably about my age, laying in the bed, and, and he, was in, he was like comatose. He had cirrhosis of the liver. He had pretty much drank himself you know, into kind of a hopeless condition. He was on his deathbed, and so he wasn't even awake. I prayed for him, kind of ministered the family, and... And so I'm talking to them, and I said, how old is your father? And she said, he's 49. I mean, he looked just as old as me. You know, I know I look old, you know, so, <laughs> but I'm telling you, know, uh, you know, this, this guy was almost 20 years younger than me, but he looked, he looked, he looked more, and so, you know, you could say, hey, this guy did this to him, you know. Uh, you drink all your life, and you keep pouring alcohol, you get cirrhosis, you can point to that. But Jesus said, you can't always connect the dots. And we often make wrong conclusions about sin and, and what we've done in the past. You know, I think about Job when, he, when he's praying to God and he's suffering all the afflictions that he experienced. In Job 13, 26, he says, for you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. Now, all the conversation between God and Satan when they were talking about Job, the iniquities of Job's youth never came up. Matter of fact, when God spoke about Job, he said that he was the most righteous man upon the face of the earth, that he was very pleased with Job's life. But, you know, when you start going through something, how many know you try to connect the dots? You know, I did this thing, man, when I was young. He's like, yeah, I stole that candy bar when I was a kid, and so that's the reason I'm going through all this, you know. Or it could be something much more serious, much, you know, much worse. Uh, many times we go through something in life, and we point, oh, it's because I did that thing a long time ago. We try to connect the dots, and we make a mistake. 
Sometimes we have questions about our own lives. You know, why am I going through this? What's going on? How come I'm in this condition? Why was I born in this family? Why was I, you know, uh, why did this happen to me when I was younger? Why did this go on? In Romans 9, 20 and 21, it says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Second Corinthians uh, 10, I believe it is, talks about the danger of comparing yourselves among yourselves, that you're not wise when you do that. And people make a mistake when they begin to compare their lives to other people. And how come I'm in this condition and they have this good condition and they have it easy. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm afflicted with this uh, certain condition in my life. Questioning God about why this happened or why that happened will usually bring about wrong conclusions. You know, people often ask after something happens to them, well, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Well, sometimes you have to ask, why not? You know, is it supposed to happen to other people but not happen to you? Well, that's, this is for other people. I remember uh, uh, when we went through our thing with uh, Ashley, our, my youngest daughter, her having spinal meningitis and going deaf. And there was another family, and a woman made a comment to my wife because she went through things a little bit later in her life, and she said, I didn't think we'd ever go through anything like this. I know this, this kind of happens to you, you people, but I didn't think it ever happened to us. It was like, what an arrogant statement. Are you, are you like, you know, are you levitating or something? You know, you're just walking above us all, you know? I mean, you know, we're all afflicted in some ways, and you can't, just because you experience some tragedy or you experience some setback or some sickness, you can't connect the dots. Oh, it's because I did this or it's because this happened. And so we try to connect the dots and we make a mistake. Jesus said, this man didn't sin, neither did his parents but that the works of God might be manifest in him. See, a lot of times the thing that we hate is the thing that God wants to work through. If we look at closer at the frustrations of our life, it's, there are also opportunities for God to move, and God is poised to do something new in our lives when we're questioning God. You know, the call of Gideon, I kind of want to focus on this for the rest of my first point, is very uh, uh, exemplary of this. In Judges 6, 1 through 5, it says, uh, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed because uh, against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, uh, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, uh, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So think about this, man. Every time Israel tries to get food and they finally get something together, somebody comes in and steals it. <laughs> 
Now we know, God says, because the children of Israel did evil, he's allowing this to happen to them. But we come across Gideon in the middle of this story, and in Judges 6, 11 through 14, it says, Now the angel Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here's, here's Gideon, you know, he's just trying to, and I just, I just, I just want my little, I just want a little wine, you know, I just want a little thing here. I don't want to bother nobody, you know. I just uh, kind of want to do my own thing here. And he says, the angel Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up? Uh, from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Uh, then the Lord turned to him and said, "Go in this might of yours, uh, and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Of the Midianites, have I not sent you?" Gideon was frustrated; he was fearful, and he's asking questions. He's really looking for answers. He says, "Okay, he has this appearance from an angel. God is appearing to him." And he realizes the spiritual happening. This is an opportunity for him. And he asks the question, why is all this happening to us? And where's all the miracles? I think we've all done that at times, haven't we? Why is this happening to me? Where's the breakthrough, God? But God takes this opportunity to speak to Gideon. And he says, I'm doing something new. He says, I'm doing something just like... A, you know, Jesus talked about the blind man. He said, neither this man nor his parents did, but that the works of God should be revealed to him. He said, Gideon, I'm trying to reveal something new. In your frustration, in your questioning of life, I'm trying to do something new in your life. He says, I'm going to use you to bring a turnaround to this situation. And he's fearful. He's hiding from the enemy. He's just trying to, hey, I just want to get along in life, man. I don't want to bother nobody. God says, no, I'm calling you out from that obscurity. I'm calling you into battle. I'm calling you into my plan and purpose for your life. Judges 6, 15 and 16. Says, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. We know in the story that he did defeat them. And so, but we see his wrestlings. You know, why is this happening to us? Where's the miracles? How can I save Israel? And God says, hey, I'll be with you. It's not going to be about you, Gideon. It's going to be about my power working in your life. And I can work beyond anything you can do. I can work beyond your fears. I can work beyond your insecurities. You know, I can do something through your life. When my favor's upon your life, he said, I can help you. So next point is steps of faith help us navigate the whys of life. You know, I thought about this story, how Jesus heals this blind man in verses 6 and 7. It says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed 
and came back seeing. It's interesting that when Jesus prayed for him and anointed his eyes, he didn't see right away. There's another story, I can't remember where it is right now, where Jesus prayed for a, a blind man, and, and he, said, um, he said, I see men as trees walking. What he meant is that he saw the outward figure of people. He couldn't make a, he, the, the picture wasn't clear. He just, saw, he just saw shadows, and Jesus prayed for him again, and he saw clearly. And so we know that even Jesus working miracles, sometimes it will be a gradual miracle. It will be something that takes place in stages or steps. But it's interesting that Jesus tells this man, after he anoints him, and after he prays for him, puts the mud on his eyes, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it says, as he went, he came back seeing. You know, as we walk in faith, that is where we see the miracles. It's not always when we have the first encounter. We still have to walk out our faith. When the ten lepers in Luke chapter 17, in Luke 17, 12 through 14, it says, Then as he entered a certain village, uh, there met him ten who were lepers, uh, uh, ten men who were lepers who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Uh, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. You know, he could have healed them right there, but he wanted some kind of act of obedience. He wanted some kind of act of faith. And I believe that's what he wanted with the blind man and uh, that, that he prayed for. He says, you know, I'm going to work a miracle, but you need faith on your part. To, you need some obedience on your part to see this miracle take place. One of the great stories in the Old Testament is the story of Naaman the leper. And I like the first verse of 2 Kings 5, 2 Kings 5 verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given, had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. That's a very, you know, think about that phrase. He was a man of honor, he was a man of valor. You know, he went out and, uh, you know, had victory in battle. Uh, he was a great and honorable man, but he was a leper. You know, that's the condition of a lot of people today. Oh, he's a good guy. You know, he's very successful, but he's a sinner. <laughs> and how many of you know, no matter how good, how successful, how strong, you may be a famous athlete, man, you're just tearing it up, you know, but how many know that sin comes out? But he was a sinner. And now it's sabotaging his life, sabotaging everything good about, sabotaging all the good qualities. Here's all these good qualities, but yet there's this element of sin. And so this man becomes desperate. And you know, the story says one of the, one of the girls that had been taken on a raid began to tell him, oh, if he just knew the prophet, you know, Elijah, he would pray for him and he would be healed. And so, you know, there's another side sermon there about no matter where life finds you, you can still minister. She, she's been captured as a slave and she's a, a servant, uh, but she speaks up for God and, and, and is the uh, a proponent of a great miracle that took place. That's another sermon. So, but anyway. 2 Kings 5, 9 through 14, it says, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So here's this man, you know, he's, he, he's a great and honorable man. He's a man of position. And so he says, hey, I'll go to this guy, Elisha. He's a prophet. He's going to come out to me. He, he must know who I am. I'm Naaman. I'm a great, I'm a, you know, I'm a mighty man of valor. And so he's going to come out. He's going to wave his hand over me. He's going to call on the God of Israel. We're going to have a great revival meeting tonight. I'm going to be healed. Then I can go home. It's all going to be good. But he doesn't do that. He sends his messenger out. Hey, uh, go out and tell uh, Onaman out there, go dip in the Jordan seven times. The Jordan River, the Jordan River is one of the most muddiest rivers back then. That's why he says, uh, are not the Abana and the, the other river, the rivers, aren't they better than all the waters? These are much cleaner waters. Why would I wash in the Jordan River, that muddy river? And so he goes away in a rage. And his servants came near to him. You know, the story, the servants, or the key to that story, 2 Kings 5, there's a servant girl who's taken captive, and then this guy's servants who come to him and say, hey, listen, if he asks you to do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? Listen, just listen to the man of God. Just see what he has to say. Just try it out, man. You're in kind of a desperate condition here. And so they reason with him, and he listened to them, and he gets healed. You know, sometimes what God asks us to do seems so contradictory so humbling. We don't want to do it. But when we do it, we often find the answers that we're looking for. And sometimes just being humble, being teachable. Well, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. I, you know, don't they, don't they know who I am? Yeah, we know who you are. But God knows who you are too. And he wants you to walk by faith. He wants you to take steps of faith and obedience uh, to see his power working in your life. See, when we step out and walk in faith, God opens up, excuse me, God opens up our world. I was thinking of a few scriptures where it talks about, you know, just taking steps in God and how that opens things up for us. Psalm 1836, you enlarge my path under me so my feet did not slip. You know, David talked about uh, uh, just how God made his path bigger as he walked in faith, as he walked in obedience. Uh, God made his path bigger. He opened up his world. And that's what God can do for us. When we walk in faith, when we walk in obedience, no matter what's happening in our lives, uh, we can start out in a narrow condition. We can start out very restricted. But as we walk in faith, all of a sudden our world begins to open up. And there's something brand new. 
Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet means God always tells us the next step to take. We can look down at our feet. He says, okay, take this next step. But he also says it's a light to our path, which means he gives us the direction in life. He doesn't just tell us about the next step. He gives us a vision. He gives us a direction to take in our lives. And so the word of God gives us the next step to take. And the word of God gives us a vision and a direction for us to walk in. The steps of faith open up our world and bring the answers we are looking for in life. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. The longer you walk the road of faith, amen, the more your world opens up. Yes, there's battles and all kinds of things, but, but there's something about the things of God become a little clearer. The will of God becomes a little clearer, becomes a little bit more in focus. And I know the Bible says we see through a glass darkly now. We don't see everything there is to see now. But I'm telling you, the longer you live for God, the longer you walk in obedience, God will begin to show you his plan, his purpose for your life. And uh, uh, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. That as you journey towards Jesus, amen, it, his way gets brighter and, and his way becomes clearer. Another thing about walking in the obedience, there's something about walking in obedience that's very redeeming, even when you make mistakes. What's that scripture? A just man falls seven times and rises again. When you walk in obedience, hey, there's room for failure. Don't you thank God for that? Amen. How many know we all fail at times? And so, but there's room for failure with God. Psalm 37, 23 and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And so it says when you're walking with God, that, that you know what, your steps are ordered. They are, they are, God sets your steps. You're not just wandering aimlessly through life. There's a structure. It means, word ordered means to be set up, to be established, to be planned. No wasted motion in life. A lot of times we feel like we're spinning our wheels, but we're not. The Bible says our steps are ordered by the Lord. And it says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. In other words, you may fall momentarily. He said, but that's not going to be your destruction. When you're walking in faith and obedience, uh, he says, God's going to uphold you. He'll lift you back up again. He'll help you. Verses 8 through 11, our text, talks about the people who see this blind man. They can't, they can't figure it out. You know, they just... There's something about unbelief that is willful. You know, they, they, people willfully unbelieve. They, they, they willfully uh, doubt. It says, uh, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he, was, that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how are your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. 
and I received my sight. Isn't it amazing how people always try to explain miracles away? They said, uh, is this the one that was blind and was begging? This is he. Others said, well, he's sort of like him. I'm not sure if he's the same guy. Because people don't want to believe a miracle. They're determined to, to be full of unbelief. The world will always try to explain away the miracle that God has done for you, too. John 9, a little bit later, verses 24 through 33, says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So now they're saying that, 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 that Jesus who healed him is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. At this point, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't know his whole background. He says, whether or not, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though, although I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why did you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> He's just tormenting them. Then, then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so the blind man tells him, he says, hey, look, come on. You ever heard of somebody? you know, opening the eyes of a blind, somebody blind from birth. He said, well, this guy's a sinner. Just like when Jesus healed the guy with a, you know, with a withered arm on the Sabbath day. Hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath day. You know, <laughs> what about the miracle? You know, instead of looking at the miracles, like, hey, you did that on the wrong day. Jesus said, hey, if your donkey falls into a pit, do you help him out on the Sabbath day? Well, of course. John 9, 35 through 41, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said to him, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, that those who may see be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And so Jesus said, Hey, seeing, you know, we say um, uh, seeing is believing. People have that quote. Well, Jesus said believing is seeing. And when you believe, you receive the words of God. I want to end tonight just talk about Jesus cares about our whys. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus the question about whose sin, this man or his parents, uh, they were asking indifferently to the man's condition. As I was reading some uh, commentaries on this, Barnes notes said, while the Jews regarded it as the effect of sin, they looked upon it without compassion. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We see somebody in a certain condition, well, hey, they probably had it coming to them, right? That, that, that's what the disciples are saying. Hey, hey, this guy sinned, his parents sinned, so no compassion. Just, you know, he had it coming to him. 
whether you know whether it's his parents or he had it coming to him. And so there's no compassion there. There was no sympathy for this man's plight. You know, God cares about your struggles of faith when you're trying to figure things out. That's one thing I like about God. God's not afraid of questions. You know, Thomas, you know, he had a lot of questions. Jesus made him, you know, made him an apostle. Even though he asked questions, you know, you know unless I see the, you know, the scars in your hand, unless I put my finger, you know, and, and, and so Jesus didn't, you know, kick him to the curb. He let him touch him. But God cares about our struggles of faith. And when we're trying to figure things out, I preached a sermon in Tucson about our feelings and how God cares about our feelings, even when they're messed up. And one of the illustrations I use is Cain, Genesis 4, 3 through 7. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door and his desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Cain has a bad attitude. I don't even know. He's all upset that God has rebuked his, his offering because he offered from the uh, fruit of the ground instead of a, an animal sacrifice, which he knew that God expected. And so now he's got an attitude. And what does God do? Does he just leave him to himself? No, God tries to intersect him, and God tries to intervene and stop his insanity. And he says, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do not, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It's desires for you, but you should rule over it. He said, Cain, listen, you need to stop this. You're heading in a bad direction. God intervened in his life uh, through all of his bad attitudes. He didn't just leave him to himself. See, God, God won't always, uh, just because you have a bad attitude, or you, you're questioning why, how come this happened to me? God's not gonna, just going to back off and leave you alone. He will come and deal with you. He will draw close to you and try to help you. Prodigal son's older brother is another good example. Luke 15, 25 to 32. Says now his almost you know the story. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go on. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And so, you know, we look at the prodigal son. What does it say? That when the prodigal son turned to his father, the father ran out to meet him. Well, here's the older brother. He's got a bad attitude. He doesn't like what's going on. But it says, therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So the father went out to meet the prodigal son. And the father went out to meet the older brother, too. The father loved both of them. 
You know, God, you know, even though the, uh, the older brother had a bad attitude and he tries to reason with him. So it's like God's not indifferent to our struggles. God's not indifferent to us even when we're kind of messed up in life. He will try to reason with us. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. The point is God's not indifferent to your struggles. and He's not indifferent to your whys. Prodigal son, why are you making this party for him? You never gave me a party. Why is this happening? Uh, you know, I've been here all this time. Doesn't mean God's going to agree with you. Which he didn't, the older brother, but he will reason with you. He'll say, look, it's right we should do that. Just like he reasoned with Cain. Cain, you're heading in the wrong direction here. Don't do this. Key to a vibrant life of faith, and I'm ending with this, is that don't let your whys blind you to the hand of God working in you and through your life. In our text in verse 3, again, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents submit the works of God should be revealed to him. No matter what your thing is in life, your hang-up is in life, what you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand. It's also the opportunity for God to work in and through your life in a special way. God sees your struggles. He sees what you go through. And he doesn't exclude you because of some disability or thing that happened to you. You know, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Seven through nine. You know, sometimes our whys are not answered. That's 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 the crazy thing about God. I'll tell you right there. Okay, God, I can go on. Just tell me why I'm going through this, and I can make it another day. Now, listen, God's God's not. You know, God's not always. Okay, this is the reason you went through all this. You know, sometimes He never tells you why. Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul, he's going through life, man, he's getting revelation. And so he says that God gave him this thing to deal with because uh, he didn't want Paul to be lifted up. And Paul said, hey, I got a hold of God three times. That doesn't mean that, you know, he lifted up a very requested church. He probably went through seasons of fasting three different times uh, to see a breakthrough in this. And God doesn't answer him. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, Therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul didn't see it as a setback or something. Okay, well, I can't, you know, I got this infirmity. I got to quit the ministry. So, you know, I'm going to have to pull out now. No, he says, hey, if this is what, is this my limitation? Is my limitation? And listen, I'm going to tell you, no matter what you do for God, you're going to have limitations. There's things you can't do. Nobody's Superman. Sometimes you have to look at your weakness and say, God, this is, I don't know how you work, but you know what? This isn't about me. It's about you working through my weakness. 
And through my weakness, you making your strength perfect in my weakness. You know, as we look at the life of Job, one of the interesting things about Job, we heard that reply earlier. He says, you make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. In his mind, you know, he's, Job's going through it. How come this is happening to me? You know, I, I'm trying to think of what I did. I'm, he's probably, you know, rehearsing every event of his life. Uh, was it that guy that I cut off in my chariot at the market last week? You know, <laughs> he's, he's probably probably racking his brain about what he did to make all this happen. In Job 42, this is the last chapter of Job, verses 1 through 5, the New Living Translation. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom of such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. You know what's interesting about the story of Job? You can read all the way through the end of Job 42. God never tells him why he went through what he went through. After all that, I mean, his family dying, getting sick, you know, all these things happening to him. Don't you think he could have used a little explanation there? If anybody deserved an explanation, Job deserved an ex explanation. So what I'm saying, if you're waiting for an explanation from God, don't hold your breath. Because it may not be on the way. But you can still walk in obedience. You can still say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this is happening. But I know you're a good God. And I know you want to help me. And I know that even in this situation, your power can come forth. Your power can work in my life. You can use this situation. God says that he, uh, you know, turns all things together for, the, for his good, for those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what is happening in your life, God can turn it around for his glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Appreciate you all tonight. As we come before the Lord tonight, just uh, before we have a time of altar service, I want to ask tonight, if there's anyone here tonight, you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or perhaps you're backslidden tonight. Salvation is available to you. A changed life is available to you. And maybe you have resisted faith. You have resisted God. Because there's that question of why. Why did this happen to me? Why did God let this happen to me? How many times have I talked to people that would not receive Christ? Because, well, well, if God's so good, why did you know? Why did He let this happen to me? I don't know. You know, it's, listen, we live in a sin-cursed world. To think that we're going to avoid the curses of sin in this world, you know, is just not reasonable. It's not a reasonable thought. But in spite of being in a sin-cursed world, God can make his strength perfect in your weakness. God can take that thing that happened and he can show his glory in your scars. He can show his glory in all the things that you've been through in your life. He's not indifferent. He saw the blind man that was blind from birth. 
The disciples saw somebody cursed by sin and probably deserved it. Jesus saw a man that his power wanted to work in, that he wanted to show his glory in. And you know what? God sees our lives many times, things that happen to us, even from a young age. This happened to him from birth. He didn't even get to be old enough to have something happen to him. He happened right out of the womb. He's blind. He already has a setback. He already has a strike against him in life. And Jesus said, you know what? The works of God are going to be made manifest in you. And you know what? No matter what has happened to you in your life, the works of God can be manifest in you. His power, his redemption, his forgiveness, his cleansing, his healing, touch in your life can be evident, but you have to walk it out by faith. Jesus told this blind man, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to anoint your eyes, but you've got to go wash in the pool of Siloam. You have to go and do, you have to walk in obedience to see my miracle played out in your life. It's not going to happen right here, right now. As you walk in faith and obedience, uh, that's where you're going to see my power encounter your life. And you have to walk it out. If you're here tonight, you're unsaved, you're backslidden, you need Jesus Christ, slip up your hand, put it right back down. It'll be one tonight. And then God wants to help you this evening. Church tonight, why I felt stirred about this, but you know, a lot of times we we ask God, why is why this happen? Why that happen? Or why is this happening to me right now? What did I do? We try to connect the dots, and God says, Hey. Hey, you can't connect the dots. You know, don't don't try to connect the dots between some kind of past behavior, past situation, what's happening in your life right now. Just try to let me work in the situation you're involved in. Let me show my power in everything you're struggling with, uh, and I can show my glory in whatever's going on in your life. It may be a, a extended trial you have to walk through, but listen, my power is available to you. My love is available to you. Uh, you know, my comfort uh, and my assurance is available to you, even in your struggle. Let me work in you. Let me show my glory. He said the works of God can be manifest in your life, even through all your hindrances. Amen. Let's stand tonight. These altars are open if you'd like to come and pray.